Welcome to the Soccer Geeks Podcast, hosted by Jason Barbato. Hey everybody, welcome to the Soccer Geeks Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Barbato, and I am tethered to our show's producer. Her name is... Marissa Callie. Yeah, there you go. A little short on that response. Marissa, good morning, good day. How are you? <laughs> I'm well, uh, sporting my new jersey that I just yeah, got yeah. over the weekend. Nashville, That's right. See. Uh, yeah, Marissa, yeah, you live real close to that brand new beautiful stadium. Yeah. Yes, yes. And by the time this episode airs, uh, we'll probably have been to many a matches, so... Which can't is great. Speak to the game day or match day experience yet, but um, super excited to go there to a new stadium and um, experience all things Nashville SC. So. Last time I actually was in Nashville, Marissa, they hadn't even put a shovel in the ground on that site, and my buddy and I were mm-hmm. doing donuts in the parking lot there at the state fair because we were so nice. excited that the new stadium was coming nice. to the area. So it's it, it'll be great when I get a chance to come visit you and come see the stadium. I can't wait to use For your sure. season tickets and go see a game. <laughs> <laughs> or like accompany me with my season tickets. Yeah, that's maybe? that's cool too. I mean, I'll just buy like something in the nosebleeds and we'll hang out. You know how I'll do it. So okay. uh, let's talk okay. about today's show because, wow, we have an absolute gem of a guest and person for us. So why don't you go ahead and tell us yes. who we have and then let's bring her on the show. Yeah, we have the esteemed Christina Uncle. She is an entrepreneur, an attorney, and you may know her from television uh, and a well-known referee. Yeah. Um, let's welcome Christina to the stage. Hi, Hi all. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, Christina. We're super happy to have on uh, have you on the show. Did you freeze, Jason? Oh my gosh. There we go. And then everything pauses. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was like, no. <laughs> of all the times for it to like buffer. Yeah. Uh, sorry Just for our guests there at home. Like we had a little bit of buffering issues right when we say hello. Yeah. <laughs> modern day, modern day TV, modern day everything. There's three things in life that probably frustrate me to no other. Uh, and what, guess what? One of them is not referees, Christina. The first yeah. one for me is being lost. Uh, the second one is being late. And the third is any type of technological difficulty. Like I go to from zero to like utter panic sheer like nuclear like button option in about four <laughs> seconds so those are the three things that go drive me crazy so uh, marissa got any final words for us as we get into our conversation you know, um yeah i mean i'm with you on the you know uh being very pro referee so i'm excited to hear what you guys have to talk about right. and how yeah. um it relates to all of our conversations on the podcast so yeah i'll be back at the end to give some insights Appreciate that as always. Thanks so much, Marissa. All right. Christina, really looking forward to not only just the conversation with you today, but to learn from your experience and to share that with our audience. Uh, you know, our audience spans from youth players to parents to coaches to other referees to budding referees, uh, leagues across the country. And so I. I'm very blessed to have you on the show just because I think you are such a wealth of knowledge, being that refereeing is in your blood. Yeah, right? I mean, so, it, it's, not, it's not passed down, but uh, it's been in me. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So I would love for you just to share with us a little bit just about your journey in the game, kind of from youth. Can you share with us just kind of how you got involved necessarily refereeing? Did you also have a playing career as well inside of that? Um, I just want you to kind of share a little bit of your story and your background as we kind of like onload the conversation here this morning. Yeah, I mean, uh, I kind of started like everyone else 
for the most part, right? I'm always fascinated by those who jump into refereeing and never played the game. Those people fascinate me. I ask more questions to them. But um, <laughs> for me, you know, I started, you know, playing the game. Uh, I, I started playing soccer at a very young age as soon as I was able to. I mean, that was definitely in the blood. My dad played semi-pro in Guatemala and, you know, our family, I mean, being of Hispanic origin, it's just soccer was our game. Football was our yeah. game or football was our game. And having an older brother by year um, and him being able to get all of the you know, after getting snacks and he never shared it with me was another motivation <laughs> to join the game so I yeah. could get my own snacks. And yeah. I started in Southern California, born up in the San Diego, Chula Vista area and uh, started playing then. And it wasn't really until I moved to Florida uh, where I was playing and I was around nine, 10 years old, um, had just started moving from recreational to whatever hybrid that was down in the Cape Coral uh, Cyclones area. And my coach, who was also the district referee administrator, or DRI or something of that fact, um, just caught me and heard me and go figure I was popping off at the referee that young of an age. It kind of shows you a bit about my personality. And <laughs> mainly because the, the the young referee there was not even trying. He was standing, he was walking, he was flirting with his girlfriend off the field. and Collected just, a paycheck, yeah. Collected a paycheck and it infuriated <laughs> me. I'm like, I know we're yeah. nine, I know we're 10, but for the love of, you know, for the love of everything, like just have pride in your work and try. Like you're not even trying. And so... I would yell at him and um, my um, my coach, Bob Harris, was like, you know, you're going to be quiet or you're going to go take the referee course so you don't <laughs> sound like an idiot when you're yelling the wrong things. So those are my choices, either be quiet or take the ref course. And back then, um, you were able to start refereeing at 10. Now you're able to start refereeing wow. at 13. Yep. So, of course, I took the course and I continued to keep yelling, except this time I was a little bit more smarter at it. Not the greatest, but a little bit more smart. And um, then I started realizing that there was an opportunity to earn money. Um, and that's where it kind of really took off for me. And I think it takes off for a lot of people is that there's money in the game as a referee, especially mm -hmm. now, right? You could do a U on, I know in the East Coast, you can do a U13 uh, girls game and get paid $90 in the center to do that game. And the prices are increasing, the demand is needed. Um, so that's, it kind of started as a moneymaker for me. Um, yeah. For the fact that my family didn't really come from finance and influence. And if I needed to go to the movies with friends, right, I felt right. horrible asking my parents for money. And instead, I made my own money and was able to buy my yeah. own first car. So it was pretty empowering at a young age to be able to have a job where you're technically not supposed to have a job. According to lot, 15, 16. So. Yeah, you know, uh, you'll appreciate this. Uh, my my middle daughter is 13 years old, and we just signed up to do the, like the entry level refereeing course. Yeah. Um, and she plays competitively. You know, she plays at Academy here um, in Carlsbad in San Diego. And um, one of the big things I tell her is, you know, my my I got three girls, right? So my girls love to babysit. Like they're like they come as like a package deal. Like they can mm -hmm. handle a lot of a lot of other kids. And I just tell my daughters, I was like, listen, it's it's better than babysitting money. Like it, this is this is you guys can do this all day long. But I also appreciate the fact that they learn to see the game from a different angle. Mm -hmm. Whereas you were like, well, there's a lot of players and one referee to yell at. As a referee, you can yell at a lot of players, so yeah. you can kind of have a little <laughs> bit more corralling. Can you kind of can, can you speak a little bit to that? Even as a youth player, how refereeing as a youth player taught you how to see the game differently um, and the different eyes that you have on the field when you're not quote unquote involved in the game, but you're, you're kind of overseeing and, and kind of corralling the, the laws of the game as it were from, from the center stage is was there, was there any different perspectives that you saw and learned about the game that you kind of were able to transition back and forth as you went back to playing? 
I think until I advanced at the higher levels and I was more conscious about game tactics and analysis and the teams and reviewing what they do and really implementing that in my game as a higher level referee, did I put what I would call the subconscious to the conscious, where back in the day when I was younger and I was just doing it for money, I don't think <laughs> I realized truly like how I was looking at the game. Um, it made yeah. me a better player. I played more of a central midfielder, center defensive role, and it allowed me to see the game uh, quicker. It allowed me to see the, mm. fir- the next play and the third play, because when you're refereeing, you don't have the ball to feed. Instead, you're anticipating play, right? We don't, if you're still looking at the same play right in front of you and or just, you know, that's at least where your brain is and not realizing the second play, phase of play or the third phase of play, then you're going to get caught on a movement positioning kind of, you just, you just, you just do, you get burned. So when I was growing up, I think by refereeing, it allowed me to see the flow and how the game moved and how it should move and how it doesn't move when you have two different teams with two different strategies or types or levels yeah. of soccer and it exposed me to the men's game, um, right? Because I wasn't playing in the boys' um, division. However, I was refereeing uh, boys when I was young. When I was 13, 14, 15, 16, I was refereeing the 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 year old boys So, and, and girls at the same time. So I saw levels and speed and tactics of play that I wasn't playing at yet, but mm-hmm. I was actively refereeing. And it allowed me to become a better player and to see those. And I think that it was always what helped me playing and then vice versa when I was refereeing I was like well I would have done this in this play so it just gave that really you know good kind of a marriage in that respect of being able to kind of see one off of the other also knowing exactly what you know the referees may or may not call and where kind of the uh, sure. the, the standard would be and what I could get away with um, so that really did help <laughs> me and I do tell you know referees who are actively playing still whether it's collegiate right you know U.S. soccer wanted me to stop playing college soccer and just do full-time refereeing which I just kind of laughed. I was like, unless you're going to start paying for my college scholarship, like, and they're like, yeah, we're not doing that. Like, I'm not quitting. Of course. But, um, you know, kind of going into that respect of, you know, I tell them always play. It's the highest level that you possibly can play to because it will give you more insight than actively refereeing and doing games. Playing the game will do more and will advance you higher as an official. But also more importantly is, you know, really, if we looked at some of the most elite players on a stare on an average, you know, they end up, Phasing, fading away in their early 30s, right? You know, we have our anomalies, obviously, are still playing in their, late, in their early 40s. But really, 30 is kind of your career gap um, uh, or your career yeah, ending. Unless you're a center back, player. right? Unless you're a yeah. center back or a goalkeeper. Yeah, exactly. As opposed to refereeing, if you watch Champions League, which we have the semifinals today, the second semifinal, mm-hmm. you know, those referees are in their middle 40s. And so it actually right. gives you a longer career opportunity. So yeah. I do encourage people to play as well as referee at the same time because it really does help you get a bigger and better perspective on the game um, and not just from what you're playing and what you're doing, but more importantly, where you're going next. Yeah. Yeah. I never, I didn't really play. I didn't play much level. Uh, I had horrible allergies. And so growing <laughs> up in the LA area, uh, I would just basically break out in hives and my throat would shut up like every game. So, <laughs> you know, I had to tap out. I did, I did, I grew out of that. And then I had other sports I played in high school. So my kids have been playing since a real young age. So I'm just happy to AR. Like one of the things that I see, at least here in Southern California, and I know that you're in Florida and I know that, you know, you've got some pretty, um, you've got some very well-connected positions of placement and power in Florida and the Referee Association there. We could talk about that later. 
But you both, you guys on the on both ends of the coast, were dealing with the same issue, and that is a massive shortage shortage in referees. One of the main reasons why I'm taking my referee course is one to bond with my daughter because it's something we can do together. And gosh, it would just be fun to. to I would love to call a game as an AR and have her be the center ref and be able to <laughs> yell at dad. Like I actually think that would be really fun for her. Um, I just don't. I don't want to do anything other than AR. Like that's it. I want half of a sideline. I just want to kind of jog. Uh, the younger the kid, probably the better. I don't pop a hamstring on the sideline. But for her, everything that I want for her in her own game as a player is everything that you're talking about. They Both my daughters play center mid. And for them to be able to read the game a couple steps ahead, to kind of anticipate, to be able to see boys' games and girls' games, especially at the at the like the pubescent area and see the speed of play that's that's coming and the one that's already there, is everything that we should want for younger players to be able to watch and to learn the game. Do you feel that... Um, for folks who haven't played, like you said, like you're always interested in people who never played soccer and yet want a referee. Do you kind of equate that with people who move into a neighborhood and want to be on the HOA board or like, what do you, like, how do you, what messed up? You, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. They're just, they want to turn the screws on everybody else. Or how do you kind of, how do we marry kind of that thought there, uh, that thought process to, because we have a shortage. I, I mainly got, am getting this one to bond with my daughter, but because there's a lot of games where we don't have sideline referees. We just have a center ref. And this is 13, 14-year-old academy games. Mm-hmm. And we have one center referee that, you know, they're they're doing box-to-box midfield action. They're not even – they're having to call offside and everything else too. So um, we, we, need, we need more referees. Uh, so, so I wanted to kind of see if you could give us kind of like a, you know, a state of the union kind of this is where we are as a refereeing country – um, you know, we're dealing with shortages. We're dealing. So if you were to kind of deliver that address to us, can you share that with us today? Yeah. I, I want to just the first part that you kind of said, like, I don't ever dissuade anyone who's never played the sport to, to begin officiating, officiating. Sure. Um, I, I think it's unique and that's why I'm interested because like you said, you wanted to bond with your daughter. My husband didn't really play soccer, um, much. He played maybe for his high school team. He played baseball and he went to college to play baseball. But for him, it was bonding with his dad who refereed. So that's why I like to know what is it that made them tick to enter into a profession that many in our world and many in any sports world says they would never want to enter. It's the hardest job yet they get yelled at. So I'm always just kind of fascinated. <laughs> what is that thing that motivates someone to get in? Because it's always more yeah. of a fascinating story. And, you know, where people say people are just power hungry, I don't really find that very often, right? Uh, when you get that kind of energy, usually they're just at the end of the rope and it's because they've been yelled at in a toxic environment for really long and yeah. they're just mentally over it. Uh, and that's a completely different story. But yeah. a bit of the state of the union of refereeing in the United States, and this is not only specific to soccer, but it's specific to all sports, is obviously our rapid decline of it. Whether you believe in climate change or not, I would correlate it to that. It's happening, whether you want to accept it or not. It's evident more so now than ever. Um, as you mentioned, even I, my daughter is six, was playing at the under nines, but I looked next to her game. It was a U18 boys game and they only had one center, one club linesman and no other lines uh, assistant referee on that side. And it's really, really mind boggling, especially like you said, you're from California, South, uh, Cal South, we call it in our referee world. You know, I'm from Florida, we're powerhouses when it comes to the referees and the number of referees. So I know that if we're struggling with the number of referees, and I know from a number basis we are, um, when I stepped into this role, and the reason I stepped into this role in January 1st as a state referee administrator of Florida soccer referees, it's because we were losing a number of referees and we were at an all-time low. And that could be compounded on different 
a couple of different things, but the most important thing that I thought with our union uh, or state of the union for referees is that what we have been doing. Um, so basically the definition of crazy is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And unfortunately that's what we've been doing in the referee world and to no fault to anyone specifically. Right. You know, when I kind of call some of this stuff out, people get offended and even people I've known and they say, you know, you're, you're calling us out. Da, 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 da. And I was like, if you're offended, you need to ask yourself why, because really what at this point, what I'm trying to do is create opportunities, go down new thought processes, right. Uh, correlate our world um, more towards closer to the, the, the player identification route and how we create pipelines and identify players and, uh, support them and advance them and do it properly. And so, you know, the biggest thing for us in the refereeing side of the world, and not just in soccer, but in all of them is truly identifying it. And there's this um, really good and the pictor group, you know, I've had plenty of conversations with them and they were a group that was hired by NCAA division three coaches. And they really broke down and it's obviously from a college perspective, but they really broke down and they had done quite a bit of extensive study on as to why we don't have that many officials because everyone's like, we don't have enough officials. It's like, yeah, of course. But you know, why, why address the symptoms when we need to address the root causes, right? Like an illness, we're not just treating the symptoms we're treating right. whatever it is. Go figure. I say that in a pandemic era right now, but we try to get to the root of the issue. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I kind of laugh at the Victor group. I go, you didn't tell anyone who's in the referee world, anything, different than what we already knew, right? That it yeah. can be a toxic environment. And that's not just from the ref, the players and the coaches and the parents and the fans to the referees, but internally in our ecosystem, there's toxicity in the sense of, you know, these weird little power things or, you know, just lack of respect and everyone's kind of frustrated and some people make money and other people don't make money. And it's just this little weird referee ecosystem. So you have that element to it, right? You have the element of just lack of, I don't know where to go. Um, you have a bunch of different combinations. And so I told the pictor group, the only thing they did was give, which was great, was they gave me now numbers and statistics to be able to walk into uh, a room where there's people of influence and power and who determine how is it that we create these programs to reverse the trend that we're seeing. Yeah. And one is those individuals are now mentally there before they were not mentally there this year. I can tell you, I think as soon as I got SRA in that first week, I got three or four calls from major leagues across the country on their, on their national board saying, we want to partner with you. What can we do? We have money, blah, blah, blah. And I go, I, dude, I just need to get an email first. I don't even have an email with this organization. Yeah. Like once I get that down and I do stabilization, of the organization, I figure out what my leadership team looks like. Yeah. Lay of the land. Yeah. Then let's start figuring out programs. And so I think right now at this opportunity for all referee organizations is this opportunity now to say, Perfect. We now need to develop our programs and then we go ask for any monetary slash in-kind trade. So everyone always thinks money for refereeing organizations and development of officials. Sometimes we just need things as facilities, right? Instead of us having to pay for facilities, um, covering the lunches, right? Uh, covering, you know, gas for the instructors coming in. So there's so many different opportunities and we've created a couple programs already that I'm really looking forward to kind of bringing into the fold. But um, I think one of the things that kind of really startled me in this world is, yes, it's a quote unquote nonprofit world. But you know what? Uh, all of soccer is almost nonprofit, right? Except for the professional yeah. teams. We call and that reality, tax loopholes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the reality is, I think the last that I saw was it was about a $2.2 billion industry here in the United yeah. States. That's so, for refereeing? $2.2 billion? No, for soccer. Or soccer. Okay. For yeah, soccer yeah, yeah, in general. Yeah. So I'm sitting here and I even just finished a TED talk on it. And you know, I identified our referee ecosystem, which were referees, uh, instructors and assessors, which U.S. Soccer is now creating one 
entity for that. Assigners who truly have the power to break or make a referee in the sense of either not assigning them enough quality games that they end up just getting bored and leaving and or just don't make enough money. Or two, over-assign them games slash or put them in too hard of games. Um, and then they burn out and they leave. Um, and, you know, that's a critical role that's always been overlooked, which is something we're addressing here in Florida specifically. It's kind of where I'm going and not in a, like a, a carrot or stick mentality in like we need to teach assigners how to properly assign from a development side. But more importantly, they're obviously dealing with the issue of not having enough officials. So, of course, mm-hmm. they're competitive and not willing to share lists and trying to claim ownership over a referee that's an independent contractor. So there's that issue. But the one that really hit home for me, honestly, was the administrative side of the ecosystem, which we never look at, which is the position that I hold and others hold, how that is always a purely voluntary role. And it Mm. is looked on negatively in our world that you shouldn't be paying for this. You should do it for the love of it. And I go, with all due respect, you're never going to get the right candidates in those positions because they still need to make a living. Like, Yeah, you get what you pay for and you're not paying anything. So what do you expect? Correct. And the administrative role is to think about the state of the union of refereeing, where we're going and the strategic analysis and the implementation of it, basically the, the, the livelihood of the refereeing world. That's what the administrative individual is supposed to be doing and putting all the pieces and puzzle places together for the referee, the instructor, the assessor, and the assigner. And to know that's the least compensated, if not at all compensated position whatsoever on a state by state basis. That's a bit explains why we're not really, we haven't really gotten anywhere. We haven't, no one's been paid to look at this position, look at this, this, uh, the flow and where we're going, where we're not going. And so really, really blessed with Florida Youth Soccer and Florida Adult Soccer Association for actually seeing that and investing in it that way. It seems that for the assigners, they're a bit of like the air traffic controllers. And last time I checked, that was one of the highest positions at an airport because it's <sighs> so vital and responsible. We want those people doing a great job. So it kind of and that was that was a little bit of what I, I wanted to kind of pivot into next is because every organization in the country had this like two year blip gap where Mm -hmm. we all had to adapt during COVID and during the lockdowns and things like that. But what it really forced a lot of organizations to is to take kind of stock and inventory and assess their own organization, whether they had to trim staff, whether they had to add staff, but it also looked at systems in place and things like that. And, And if you were to look at the lockdowns as being something that was positive for the long-term health for refereeing in this country. Can we find many positives there? Uh, or is it just like, no, it sucked. It, it cut everybody from the knees and now we're having to rebuild from, from the bottom again. Um, that's a good question because I haven't analyzed it from too much from the COVID stuff and I don't put, it, it didn't help. Let me, obviously it didn't yeah. help a lot of industries. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, um, sure. Unless you own Amazon or correct. Some yeah. industries that flourish, but it didn't help yeah. a lot and go figure I own a gym franchise. So that wasn't fun either, especially being yeah. from Florida. There's only two places closed restaurants and gyms. Mm-hmm. Um, but sure. you know, the, the issue was happening before COVID the declines were rapid before COVID. So like, for example, Florida was at um, 6,400 referees, I believe, in 2017. And from that, they continue to decline by 1,000 referees a year. That, um, you know, when COVID was happening, um, so 2021, their highest was at 3,400 referees. So so, so 1,000 referees a year were dropping? About 1,000 referees a year dropping, if we were to use 2017, between probably 800 to 1,000. So prior to COVID... Oh, go ahead. Oh, Yeah. And has there been any research to look at those numbers of whether we just had a lot of referees? Because a lot of referees I see are kind of aging out, if you know what I mean. Like they're just, you know, 
it's a good really combination of that. To even do a U U six game out there, he's just kind of huffing a So is it yeah. that? Is it age, or is it? I'm not going to take this, you know, blankety blank anymore. I'm out of here. It's not worth. It's not worth having my life threatened by some, you know, guy who's been day drinking. What is yeah, it? that's what I said earlier. It's a combination of things, right? Obviously, COVID, you know, didn't help. Um, truly, there is a difference in age where the younger, um, younger players, referees that we typically would have had are no longer doing refereeing for one reason or another, right? And there's a couple of different reasons for that, right? Maybe because of technology and access to it. Um, I truly think it's because, and actually someone I was talking to, um, she really hit it home. She was a D3 coach for me last week. I had a meeting with her in a group and she said, Hey, I just finished refereeing D3, uh, women's soccer. And she goes, there's a reason why our girls never really thought refereeing was for them that, that they're not going to go play pro. They're not mm. going to get into a semi pro league, right? They're, they'd be lucky if they do. They go, they didn't even think of refereeing as a, an ability because what they see that steps out, that is their referee, especially the D3 women's is usually not very athletic, stands in the middle of the field, and is not a female. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so she says, I have no, the, the her girls are like seeing is believing, and that's what I believe in, is seeing is believing. And what they saw was nothing that reflected at all of an athlete, um, someone who's fit, someone who moves, et cetera. So we have this age gap, and we're this next generation, and I also don't think we're asking them properly. We're not coming yeah. down to not coming down we're just not needing them because it's not down or up. We're just not needing them as to where they typically, you know, want to be at. Right. So yeah, social media, whether you like it or you hate it, it's got to be utilized. It's got to be utilized in campaigns and efforts right now in Florida, we have battle of the States going on. So it's Florida referees versus tennis referees and it's a sports science thing. And it's to get us all ready for Southern regionals. And it kicked off on Monday and it's just insane to see how many of these people have tagged and it's just, you know, the numbers have jumped by 300, 400 referees who now follow Florida. And it's just like, okay, like there you go. And they're all the younger age gap between, you know, your 18 to 30 year olds. Right. And that's mm -hmm. the age mm -hmm. gap that we are going to need to fill in that next um, pipeline. And I do really believe that, you know, the older referees are sitting there saying we're just getting replaced. Right. And I love it when I, I do, I'll, I'll have my list of referees and I'll have the age next to them. And everyone's like, oh, are you picking someone in age? I'm like, no, I'm usually using that as a factor to keep them so they can help educate the younger ones. They yeah. just have no life experience. Yeah. Yeah. Mentorship is really important in the pipeline mm -hmm. in the program as well. Mentorship Representation's in, important. Education's important. Mentorship is really important. So all three of those things, you know, should be kind of like the three prong approach to like retain and to kind of, like you said, talk about that pipeline. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you said something earlier that I want to circle back on. So both you and your husband have dads who were referees. Oh no, my dad never refereed. He just played soccer. Um, okay. uh, Ted's dad refereed. Ted uh, Ted senior refereed um, yeah. uh, back in the day, way back in the day when my yeah, yeah. husband was in middle school, high school, and so okay, it was the way they stayed together. And okay. Ted I just senior didn't know if you guys met all the money. Side. I just didn't know if you guys met on the sidelines or something like that one day, like, you know, with the, I just see, you know, you guys across the field, both ARing with the little flags, making little hand signals here. And there. No, no, not on. at all. It wasn't that at all. <laughs> Poor Ted got stuck on my games. I got put on some really tough men's games and the assigner and the mentor were like, we're putting Ted in the game in case he goes down, down the Creek. At least he can save her from it. So I think it was like multiple matches that we both got stuck on and his personality, my personality, completely different officiating style. My husband is, he's a little bit more, stricter and kind of yeah. like to that point i'm like do 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 let's have fun and so yeah when we we'd actually prefer not to work together <laughs> that, that's fair that's fair so yeah let me i would love to hear a little bit about uh your approach to refereeing a game i, I imagine for myself 
call, you know, I I'll share I'll share this story with you. I went to Academy game this weekend for my youngest. My youngest is uh, 2010, uh, 2011. So she's 10 years old. She's about she's U12. So we went to go watch one of the older Academy girls, like the 15, 16 year old girls play. And the referee kind of let the first half go. Like he let some fouls, pushing the backs, pulling jerseys, you know, girls shoving each other. He let it kind of go for the first probably 60 minutes. And then he tried to tighten it. It was a little bit out of control, had a red card, literally in the stands, had two parents that got into fisticuffs mm. because one, one guy's daughter who got fouled pretty hard. And there was a card that got pulled, said, get up and, you know, Decker. And that mm-hmm. dad got real mad. How dare you tell your daughter to hit my daughter? And, and it like, it got wild. Um, I imagine for myself, I probably would like to call a game a little tighter in the beginning, kind of set that context. So everybody kind of you're like, whoa, shot across the bow. Hey, everybody mm-hmm. knows like the game and is needs to kind of like, you know, play the play the game and not play the player type deal. So can you give me because I would love to learn from you. Can you give me a little insight of how you like to kind of set the parameters as a read? What's your mindset of the, the kind of the culture of the game you want to not impose but you, the table that you want to set for the players to be able to interact with. How, how does yeah. That work? Yeah. So for me, it's always been the player's game. It's never been my game. So I think okay. that's kind of how I step into these matches where it is. And I think, I mean, maybe because I started referring because of how I felt as a player from an, an official's mm-hmm. perspective of how I felt like they were officiating our style. And so for me, it's, I always say, you know, it's funny when a player like apologizes when they're about to run into me or whatever. I'm like, Hey, no worries. It's your field. I'm just here to make sure you guys don't break each other's ankles. And that truly is kind of more my mentality of, you know, uh, stepping into the field and saying, what type of a game do they want? What type of a game are they able to play and they should be able to play? And how do I make sure that one team doesn't use unfair tactics to take away from the beauty of the game collectively? And so it, it really, and especially at the higher levels, right? We already know style of play, certain yeah. players, they all kind of stand out. We know the ones that go in for that little extra hit, right? So we're already kind of, you know, looking for those little MOs and that type of a thing to keep the flow going. But my preference is to have flow as much as possible within what the, the game accepts, with what the yeah. both teams accept, right? You'll have some teams that, you know, they're just more physically strong, right? And they're able to, and they're able to get stuck in a little bit more, right? So when we played... Germany, uh, Germany, USA, I knew I was able to let them play a little bit more physically because our U.S. Women's National Team, although very, very fast, they also were very, very strong. And so they can get in with those German players. However, you know, for some reason, if our U.S. Women's uh, Team played against Costa Rica, they hated it because Costa Rica just nicked them in the ankles all the right. time as opposed right. to just strong upper body aerial challenges. Because that's a tactic, right? The tactic Because it's is, a tactic. You know, and it's also Christian because... Pulis- yeah, Christian Pulisic gets it everywhere he goes. Right. Oh, He's yeah. He, that, 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 I actually yeah. don't. I think, I mean, I, he needs to learn to get the foot off the ball off his foot a lot quicker. He's the most fouled player I've ever seen. Like, he'll get in three seconds. He's down. Like, I'm watching him with yeah. Chelsea and Champions League all the time. I'm like, that kid gets yeah. whacked all the time. Him and Messi, right? But because that's the yeah. only thing. Like, if you can't, if you know he's going to beat you on the dribble, you, you just got to, you got to get in there. You got to. And you, and you so. got to be aware of that. So it really yeah. kind of comes with what the expectations are and what the need is and not to judge sure. them based on uh, gender either, right? So we have, I I do this uh, instructional piece for referees is about uh, the differences of officiating between different genders, how to officiate women's games. And everyone says like, why are we doing this? I go, because I'll show clips. And in some of these clips, I go, you would never have called that in a men's game. Why are we calling it in a women's game? Right. And it's showing the differences between uh, whether it's conscious or subconscious that we apply and how we officiate women versus Mm -hmm. men. 
not only in the types of fouls, but also more importantly in the management style, there is a difference in managing women yeah. versus male, just based upon how you approach them and what manner you approach them and whether we make it public or we don't make it public, right? And those are the things that kind of set your point about that other game, where that's probably a younger referee or at least someone, or, I mean younger, not even just in age, but in development side. That you don't start, and it was always startling. I forgot who I told this to. I think it was Becky of UF. Um, when she's that coach, I go, do you realize that for some people, like, you know, the only time they have to practice is the game, and that's when it matters. <laughs> like, right. referees don't really very much have right. an opportunity to practice <laughs> yeah. officiating, to practice right. people screaming at them, to practice setting the 10. And that's And you only get them at the higher level at times when you go to camp or you're in a tournament atmosphere. Um, and so it's kind of changing that game for referees to say, how can I practice or at least get my mindset prior to the match so that I'm not figuring the game out while I'm in it instead of coming right. in with a game plan and realizing how I need to, because I always in my pregame, which is what referees should be doing before the game, if they have enough time and they don't have six games stacked and the sure. closest three game they get is, Hey, what's your first name? Um, you know, have those conversations about in these situations, this is what I expect here, the mechanics, here's my level of you know, foul standard. Here's my level of descent from coaches that are appropriate or not appropriate, but you know, here's where my standard is. Allowables. Yeah. Yeah. So like all of that comes into um, thinking about the game um, more purposefully than just reacting and anything we do in the referee world, we should be proactive. So I, if you were to mm. go back to your original question, the way I like to officiate the game is to allow it to flow as much as I possibly can and to be as proactive as possible. I'd rather, cause with all due respect, I don't get paid extra to write paperwork. I don't get paid extra for red cards or yellow cards. I'll give them if I have to give them. And you know, I'm, if I'm giving them, it's because I mean it. But, you know, if I can be proactive and I could see this player getting frustrated, uh, like let's say it's an attacker in a defender scenario and the attacker's getting really frustrated and popping off, then maybe in a simple throw or a goal kick or something where the ball's not as active, I might swing by that attacker and say, hey, you know, what's going on? You seem really mad. Am I missing something? Can you help me out? And it throws mm. them for a loop because they're like, First of all, you're not yelling at me. No one's looking at me and you're asking me for help. And that's where you can get those little, you know, nuggets where they might say before the ball is hit, the defender's kicking me in the ankles or shoving me in the back. So then all it knows that, you know, before that second or third phase, I may be opening up my angle or telling my assistant referee, keep an eye right. on it at halftime. Kind of soften day. the gaze a little bit to kind of receive in more info. Gotcha. Yep. So it all how, kind of transitions how, together. How do you deal with constantly being lied to as well then? <laughs> Oh, um, you can kind of tell. So it's so funny when I, I use this line all the time. I even used it at the professional international uh, schedule. I'm like, today, are you going to be the boy who cried wolf or where are we going with this? And, you know, saying when I say that, like you can see, I mean, if it was a cultural issue, I'd be like, okay, I get it. But right. Like yeah, yeah. when I would say that to people who should get it, they just kind of sat there and scratched their head. I'm like, pick one. Like, is this right. the battle you want to die on today? Like boy who yeah. cried wolf, like where are we at? Cause there's certain players um, that, you know, they didn't say anything. And when they said something, you actually listened because you're just right. like, sweet Lord, I must be missing something because they're classy <laughs> that if they don't say something, yeah. you know, it, it meant it something. It must mean something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you talk, how does that kind of, uh, when, when you're speaking with team captains kind of before the match, what, what, what are some of the themes that you typically discuss with team captains? Um, I just kind of laugh with them and I joke with them. I don't talk about necessarily okay. themes because yeah. You know, at that point, they've been acknowledged by their coach and essentially by their team that they are the leaders on that field. And instead of sitting there and having a whole dissertation with them about 
you need to do this and you need to do that. And we need to have a fair play. And I know sure. that I, you know, being in that scenario, I'd just roll my eyes. I'm like, for the love of God, just flip the coin, right? Like, I just yeah, want to yeah, pick my side so I can go yeah. back and go eat an orange or I haven't put my shin guards in yet, right? Like, yeah. you know, sitting there and giving them a speech doesn't help. Instead, you know, I kind of just joke with them. Like, they'll come up and be like, hey, introduce myself. My name's Christina. Da, 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 da. I'm here for you guys. This is your guys' game. Let me know if anything, um, X, Y, and Z. Uh, you know, hopefully, you know, the storm doesn't come in or just like just some fun kind of lighthearted things. They go, Hey, yeah. I'm going to treat you guys professional. All we ask is the same. Let's have a great game. Go kick ass or whatever the appropriate terminology sure. is for yeah. that age group. Yeah, and then yeah, we yeah. flip the coin. And, you know, I think they appreciate that because it's a lot more natural and flowing than sitting there and being like, I'm going to like be the cop. We're not the cops on these games. Like we right. administer justice, but we do it as much as we can in the most neutral perspective in the context right. of that play. I think the you more the they closest eyes, right? Your yeah. eyes are the closest to the action. And right? I think the more they realize you're human, the less they kind of really get at you, right? You, they're yeah. obviously yelling at the uniform and not the person. But once they realize there's a person in that uniform, it, it really kind of helps, um, you know, eliminate some of those stereotypes associated with us that are more negative than positive. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, and that's something that you know, having a, a daughter who's going to go referee pretty soon, I hope that, you know, on the sidelines, that's one of the things that a lot of other parents kind of realize is that there's these people go home, they have families, they hop in the car, you know, especially for like minors. And I kind of want to talk a little bit about that. Um, there's a story in the AP this week uh, in another sport. It was a, a, a gal who was refer, uh, not refereeing, uh, umpiring a youth uh, softball game. Uh parent felt that she got the call wrong and things got really escalated she threw the parent out of the stadium but she ended up getting um, assaulted uh, post game uh, as she was leaving the field uh, I know that during the COVID and everything like that uh, down here in Southern California we had we had a parent that chased a, a referee with a gun wow. uh, at post-match um, and shots were fired at, up in Temecula and stuff like that so how the heck do we chill everybody out yeah <laughs> Like, especially parents, like our whole country and everything is polarized. Like there's not a sphere in life where people aren't on edge. Like it's a tinderbox everywhere we go. How do we create for a healthier sideline um, so that kids can play, referees can ref, coaches can coach and be that rising tide that kind of raises all ships? Like how do we um, how do we just simmer everybody down a little bit so that we can actually get to growing? Because I yeah. don't feel like that's not the focus. So what the heck, what are your thoughts? How do we do this? Yeah, no one's listening. Um, and when no one listens, things don't grow. And so uh, kind of hitting on a little bit of that point um, with respect of how do we get everyone kind of simmered down? I mean, there's a lot of different reasons, but twofold right off the top of my mind. First being that... Um, those of sport is a platform. It's a platform for cultural change, regardless of what people believe or don't believe. Sports has always been an opportunity yeah. and ability for athletes who have this influence in this position and journalists and broadcasters um, and TV outlets have this opportunity to, through the form of entertainment, still educate, inform and advise and say, hey, here's where we're going as a society. Uh, whether someone agrees with that or not, it's the reality. Sure. And um, for me, one of the biggest things is us in the sports world, in the sports media, recognizing that and not saying, hey, we're just getting pundits getting paid to be polarizing. No, no, no. Like we need to be careful of the words that we use. And everyone's like, oh, now we're getting all PC and all that. No, no, no. Like I get it. Like someone's like, you know, I have this idea and this thought process of, you know, uh, the third team and changing the perspective as to referees and how we do it. 
And everyone's like, well, you're not going to ever eliminate it a hundred percent. Like once again, we're, it's not a zero sum game. Right, like right. there's, there's a difference between frustration and being like, Oh, come on ref. Like that was a PK. Right. Versus saying you're an effing horrible person. Like right. those are completely yeah. two different spectrums. And you're always yeah. going to have that frustration because it's a game and it's sport. And that's not what yeah. we're looking to eliminate. We're looking to eliminate the referee assault, uh, abuse, uh, the toxic work environment. Nobody else goes to anybody else's job, hopefully, and follows behind them and yells at them and screams at right. them and tells them they're idiot right. and they have no idea what they're doing without any exact experience yeah. of what they're doing. Unless they're a barista at Starbucks, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like make right. that coffee better. The abuse, um, the abuse yeah. Yeah, so it's it, it's twofold where I think those people with influence and power need to be a lot more careful and if anything, more proactive because everyone says, oh, well, that's pro sports. That's not youth sports. The reality is all youth sports watches pro sports from the parents to the players, et cetera, even if it's not that sport specific. And that kind of conscious and subconscious lessons trickle down to our grassroots. And that's why we see, yeah. oh, one reason why we see several of the different abuses. The second one, kind of going back to that point of listening, um, and you know, I've kind of like entertained now that I'm back into the youth world a bit more because before I wasn't, I was just in the pro world and the international world and with this position and kind of seeing it and realizing that sometimes I spend more time on referee abuse issues and mm -hmm. not just players to and coaches to refs, but refs sometimes back towards cause they've reached okay. their limit. Right. Um, and this idea of respect. Um, is also kind of trying to figure out an outlet where people can get this. And so we're going to try this um, at Youth State Cup here uh, in the middle of Maine. It may be horrific. It may not be. Sure. I have no idea, but we got to try yeah. something. Yeah. And it's literally like those little signs, and it'll be on the parent side, where it'll have a QR code saying, rate the referee. Um, so hopefully that eliminates a couple of scenarios that have happened in the past 30, 60 days, where uh, parents – decided to chase down the referee to say, I need to speak to your, um, your, 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 your director, or your assigner, is, yeah. whatever it is, and chase the referee down, which is a very intimidating thing for a 16 year old kid to be approached and then stalked all the way back to the referee tent. And then while the guy had the opportunity, when he thought no one was looking, he basically bum rushed and threw the guy's shoulder into this referee. Um, and then goes, Oh, it was an accident. I slipped into him. And I'm like, first of all, like there's so much intent and there's so yeah. much effort to do that. But sure. I am curious if we do this rate the referee thing, we're going to get more positive too, I think, than just pure negative. And secondly, I think it provides like anyone when they're upset about a restaurant review or they didn't get their delivery in time, they go and they feverishly fill out a review and they're like, haha, I'm giving them one star and I'm getting my, right. you know, energy out. Like maybe that's another way we can funnel it. And truly, I will be looking at these and listening to them to see. How is it that we can, you know, change our own narrative? Because no one's sure. doing the narrative for us on our side. Right. So how can we control the narrative and make it a healthier narrative? And I think that may be one way to do it is to alleviate those pressures and concerns where parents yeah. can, you know, report whatever. And, you know, obviously, if you see a lot of it, one official and multiple games throughout, then there's a theme right. and there's consistency and there's quality control for us, too. Yeah, not all criticism is critical. Some of it's constructive. Mm -hmm. Right. Some of it's constructive. I've always, you know, thought that, you know, it, what happens if all my critics are right? Like if I never if that thought never enters my mind that the people that are being critical of me are maybe even 10 percent correct, then I'm never going to grow. I'm never going to get better. And and sometimes we have to kind of start with that. Um, so I know we have to kind of wrap up here a little bit. I want to honor the time that you've got. And I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed all your your brilliance and insight that we've had today. Um, 
So two things I want to kind of talk about is one, VAR and kind of how that has actually benefited refereeing in the country. And then the other I want to kind of talk about, about getting, um, how do we change uh, the club climate across the country to get more academy level players actually serving their local communities from a sporting aspect and serving in, in, in refereeing uh, for the younger ages particularly. So, so let's kind of, kind of talk about those two themes. Uh, and then wrap up because I have one final question that we always ask on the show. So one, you know, kind of, you know, in a, in a minute or two less, do you feel that you, you said that referees don't have the opportunity really to practice, mm-hmm. right? But VAR is a little bit different because it kind of adds a little wrinkle to be able to watch, not, not be at the game, but to watch the game and to kind of have a level of contribution, influence, a little education that's there, a little of those, those teaching moments, um, but also have a vital component for refereeing. Have you seen VAR across the board be a positive, a net positive for the game and its growth and its health and its officiating or not? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I have. Um, and, and, you know, people might call it robotic uh, officiating, but it truly, really, really isn't. And the people that are usually in the booth have been on the field before. And for maybe one reason, they can't split a tenth of a second and pass that extra sprint at, uh, sure. you know, a 5.5. They're now going at 5.6 and they, they fail sure. the fitness test. Um, but it, it has been a benefit for the officials because the number one thing that I hated was, you know, especially as technology became quicker, you know, Twitter was out there, videos were everywhere, that you were the only person in that moment because when technology was then allowed by IFAB onto the sides, you're the only person in that moment who could not change a game critical decision that affected the outcome of the match, but everyone else knew. And if you would have had seen that clear and obvious error, whether it was a hand of God, whether it was a stud in the ankle sure. that you were at a different angle, it's it's the worst feeling. And even though sometimes once in a blue moon, if you can get away with it, if you knew, like I knew that the camera was always on me on game critical decisions, I'd be like AR, the furthest AR, I'd be like real quick, take a look at that Jumbotron. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, don't yeah, let yeah, anyone yeah. catch you but take a look at that jumbo chart right yeah, sure, so sure, yeah, yeah you're like you're like what's going on up there right like yeah. um are they showing a replay in stadium when they weren't supposed to um but you know it, it has and i think it's also enlightened viewers uh specifically my role as a rules analyst uh for cbs and this summer free espn euros is taking a look and seeing it from the referee perspective and i love how my fellow colleague and mentors need to know the laws of the game to break down var situations for the everyday viewer and the experienced viewer. And now they're realizing the nuances and the difficulty of officiating um, and what we are purposefully looking for through fe- uh, FIFA considerations to break down plays such as Laporte's handball in Man City yesterday where everyone's like, it's national. I'm like, well, you know, we, let's clarify some of these points. Um, yeah. It's really it's really required people to be enjoy our sport now at the highest levels to know the laws of the game, to properly enjoy the game. Yeah, and I, you know, not to, you know, Fox Fox has always been really good in their broadcast too to have Joe Manchik that's always there kind of breaking down some of those refereeing decisions and we see other broadcast teams do that as well and that's really valuable I think for the listener because it educates the listener on what what does the rule book actually say mm-hmm. and maybe there's some contrast with what's being called on the field or before the, the call is there but I always just feel that from a standpoint and VAR has had its iterations every year that it's being used it's getting refined it's getting better we saw it really struggle in the Premier League basically because the way that it was implemented where it was very successful in MLS it was very successful in the Bundesliga and it's starting to get a little bit better, you know, particularly with the the Premier League and things like that. Um, personally, you know, not that my opinion matters for anything. I, I think it's fantastic because if something egregious is missed, that's really good. Like that, mm-hmm. that's a that's a net positive for the game. Pivoting into like kind of the second thing that I wanted to chat about as we round out our conversation is 
how do we get more youth clubs to see refereeing as a means by which they can actually grow the soccer IQ of their academy and or like their you know, non-academy players, but to, to maybe they're not going to play college soccer. Well, you might be able to ref those college games if you if the game's not going to take you there on that aspect. There's there's other contributions that you can make. What are some of the conversations that we need to be having with our kids, with our coaches, with with our club directors about implementing some change there to grow the game that way as well? Particularly yeah. as seeing that we have you know a million kids across the country that are playing at these levels. How, how do we get them a little bit more interested in, and involved? Um, just truly asking. So here now with um, working specifically with FYSA, but also some other leagues about how is it that we get the youth involved in officiating these clubs and leagues to understand it. And it's as simple, not even as simple. I mean, it, it really is like I just broke down the numbers, showed it to them that if we had every if we had every age group between the ages of 14 to 19 um, in one of the FYSA clubs, a male and a female from each one of those age groups, that would give me about 10 to 12 officials if they have U19s, right? 10 to 12 officials um, per club. And if they have over 200 and some clubs, then you automatically gave me a, a steroid shot of 5,000 officials in the fall that we would certify who'd be ready for January 1st. Then my problem is training the trainers to make sure we have enough people to properly train them. Yeah. But that's a great problem to have that we'd have yep. 5,000 rookie referees in the fall who would be coming from FYSA clubs. So therefore they know FYSA clubs they are involved around it. And these clubs are all so close to each other. They're 10, 15, 20 miles from each other. That's nothing for a referee to drive through. So if this club has 12 and this club has 12 and those kids, even within their club, you know, are going to tell their friend, Hey, like I'm doing this. This is really cool. Come join me. And then you're right. going to get two, three, four out of that age group. And then all right. of them are going to be able to effortlessly travel. And then we'll take care of, you know, and then, well, they're not going to cheat. Because trust me, when you're refereeing, you don't have time to worry about cheating. The stake's not sure. high enough. Uh, <laughs> you not good enough yet. Yeah, sure. No, they're like, dude, I just want to keep getting assigned games. Yeah. Um, if they're bad, they're just bad. But, you know, um, <laughs> that'll be one way to fulfill them. But, you know, the reality is, and, and, and all to it, at the same time, at the youth and the club levels, a lot of it's volunteer. If not, it's obviously not paid as much as the time that requires your demands for it. And you're doing it because of the love of the game as well is that clubs and coaches and players are all dealing with the importance for playing for player certification for uh, teams, uh, uniforms, uh, field locations, all of that stuff. So I think it's incumbent. And at least I know I'm doing it for mine. I know, you know, other organizations, unfortunately, you know, everything is still volunteer for them. But is creating not even just a toolkit because I hate the word toolkit because toolkits are never used. But is to create like essentially a business model to say or best practices to say for other state organizations, associations to say, hey, I'm going to be approaching not just the U.S. youth soccer, but you know USL versus U.S. club versus ECNL. I'm learning all these names by the way. Everyone oh, yeah. be really proud when people That's throw other acronyms. acronyms at me. I'm like, yeah. I'm out. I'm out. I got like four <laughs> or five down right now. You know, is creating these practices to say, hey. Let me come in and help you guys with your bylaws and your policies, get this in place, find someone to make sure that we're all abiding by it. and being the key person, the lead person, the responsible person to ensure it gets done. And it's easy to find the finances uh, for the paying for the referee certification plus the uniforms between uh, individuals and organizations that not just I only know, but that are just closed in saying we can create this package deal that then you can have these officials certified. And then what's your ROI not having to cancel a weekend, cancel right. a tournament, cancel club games. Player satisfaction, club satisfaction, but it takes someone from the referee side of the world who understands more of a business strategic side of right. it to be able to implement that and be lead on that. And so I do think it behooves um, 
clubs and organizations to have one person focus on referees and referees only and how do we create the numbers programs, et cetera, that we can do for that. And once I yeah, finish all of the, like, you know, some of the more administrative stuff and get into, which I'm very excited, the visionary side of this next couple sure. months and launch of August 1st, like those are going to be those types of, um, you know, documents, et cetera, that you'd be able to find on, you know, FSR's website that other states can take and use. And it may or may not be a good method, but it may, it's, it's a method that anyone mm-hmm. could probably pop and turn and go with, um, especially those who have relationships with different clubs and organizations who, who are all in and realize the stakes um, that are out there. Yeah, no, I, I think those are all, those are all really fantastic. I love the fact that you're such a visionary. You're like, we got to set the vision and then we got to build it. So uh, I want to honor your time, but I, I got one last quick question to ask. Of course. You. Um, the last question we always ask on our show is this, like you are given the uh, a lamp with one wish left basically in U S soccer and you get to improve, implement one sweeping change in the country that has immediate and immediate effect to the intention that intent that you want what is it that you are implementing today and what would that effect cause in u.s soccer um the one thing i can think about is that referees have a significant vote on the board of directors for u.s u.s soccer Currently, referees have zero votes on the board of directors. And if you don't have a seat at the table or a voice, then your voice is never going to be heard um, because there's too many other voices asking for things. So it is more of a longer play. (laughs) And it's one we're probably not going to get because no one's going to want to give up any of their power to the referee side of it. But most people don't like to give up power. Yeah. No, you said I had a a genie lamp and I had one wish. So what would that that do? What What would that do for the game in the in our country? What would that do? Listen, right? So when people are, um, when people have a vote at those board of directors and are able to be, you know, parlayed into one or the other, and you call it politics, you call it whatever it is, the reality mm-hmm. of it is, and the money and the funding and the sources are being put in certain locations, it's only those people who have voting ability who are able to advocate for their position and get funding for their side. So when you don't have a vote at the table, you just get whatever's left over for the bare minimum and our budget's taken and put into other locations. When you have a vote, then people are listening to you because they're saying, how do I get this person's vote for the benefit of X, Y, and Z, right? And all right now we have is the youth organizations versus the player organizations, it feels like, and then there's the adult section. And on all of it, there's not a voice on behalf of the referees that service all three. It services the youth, the coaches, the players, et cetera, that I feel like if one does have a vote at the table and has influence at the table in some capacity, in some regard that's meaningful, which unfortunately in this, in every world, money is meaningful, then you can start implementing bigger and broader changes and actually, you know, flip it, flip, flip this world on its head in a good way. Well, I, I mean, you convinced me you've got my vote. Uh, I, I, think that that, I think it would be wonderful. Like, I I'll think straw votes. I, I, uh, yeah, it works. You never know. One day it could matter. It could mean something. Uh, who knows? Um, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I really have enjoyed the conversation. I know the people listening to this down the road will will also appreciate it as well. You you are a wealth of knowledge and um, and just so thank you so much for your time today. I know you got a hard stop, and I want to honor that. Um, Marissa, if you want to jump in real fast, or Christina, if you have to drop like this second, what do we want to do? Oh no, no, it's fine. Marissa, let's recap. Okay, where is she? Marissa, there she I'm is. Here. Hey. Yeah. Always All watching. Right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. I'm glad to. Uh, I wrote down a lot of good notes. Um, some main highlights seeing is believing. Um, I think you being in the position, you know, uh, of being able to offer some insight on the broadcast, I think will also influence a lot of people. So that's really awesome. Um, you know, and 
trickle down to other areas and hopefully get more women referees doing yeah. all yes. the things. They do exist. They do exist, they do. by the way. Yeah. Women referees, they say they never exist. I just pulled our numbers yesterday. We have about 575 female officials in the state of Florida. And uh, only 12 were identified for this last round. And I go, there's an issue there. So they do exist. We just got to go fish them out. Yeah. <laughs> the, pipeline, the pipeline's and chock full. The pipeline, yeah. pipeline's chock full too, though. Chock yeah. full. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm always about listening. Um, and that's, you know, one of your main themes that you talked about. No one's listening to each other. They're kind of just talking. And, you know, you can't make change without listening. So um really excited to listen back again because you know i do all of that from behind the scenes all the time so yeah we really enjoyed um having you on how can people connect with you christina um i think probably the biggest way is um twitter is a little bit more pressing in the sense of like um immediate games etc um but you know what i'm trying to do is better at i'm not the greatest at it but the better at is kind of putting you know things that i'm doing and ways to influence this world um and in in this situation in a positive light more on that facebook twitter instagram kind of a thing because i usually don't have time to tell people what i'm doing and then it was like you need to tell people i'm like okay yeah. so but yeah. that would probably be the fastest way do not email me you do not want to see the bubble right now <laughs> i think the bubble is like a solid like oh, four thousand unread emails oh my so. gosh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> my wife does the same thing it, my ocd just goes right through the roof when i see that that number no, is so high no. yeah. So. yeah don't email me yeah. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> well, Oh, well, thanks we, again. We uh, wish really, you the absolute yeah. best of luck in, in all your endeavors. And, and we hope that people get more connected, see you as, you know, are you comfortable being the face of women referees in the United States? I hope you are. And I hope people, when they see that, that that's one of the impressions that they get from you, that that's such a positive light in the community and, and in, the, in this space. And so we just, we wish the absolute best for you. And we can't wait to have you on the show sometime soon. Thanks all. Appreciate it. Have a great one. You too. Thank thanks you. so much for Bye. your time. Bye. Bye.